You're listening to World Oil Deep Dive, conversations with energy industry leaders and engineers about the market trends and technologies shaping the oil and gas industry. Now, here's this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of World Oil Deep Dive. On this week's episode, we highlight a clip from an April webcast hosted by World Oil editor Craig Fleming. Craig sits down with special guest Charlie Weekly, chief product developer within Technip FMC's new energy division, and Glenn Wilson, senior product manager within Halliburton's Pinnacle Service, to discuss their integrated carbon dioxide transportation and injection solutions and explain how client value can be created through system integration. To view the graphs discussed and listen to the webcast in its entirety, please visit the link found in the show notes. Now, here's Craig. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's webcast, Integrated CO2 Transportation and Injection. I'm Craig Fleming, Technical Editor of World Oil, and will be your moderator today. Joining us for today's webcast are Charlie Weekly, Chief Product Development, Greenhouse Gas Removal from Technip FMC, and Glenn Wilson, Senior Product Manager from Pinnacle Halliburton. Now let's get started. Charlie? Thank you, Craig. Appreciate that. So as uh, Craig mentioned, you know, I come from the Technip FMC uh, side and Glenn will we'll kind of come in toward the second half of the presentation and, and talk a little bit more about some of the downhole equipment. But uh, let me start by maybe framing the discussion a bit with uh, with the fact that not all CCS is the same. So if you look at this uh, set of charts from Rystad data that's been published, you can see that the chart on the left shows a whole lot of different types of capture technologies or capture costs for different types of sources. Sources. And you can see that the cost of capture is expected to go down over time. Some capture uh, is already economic, and, and we we'll basically put the 45Q tax credit line there as a reference point, um, being you know U.S.-based specifically uh, credits. And you'll notice that some some are already economic; more are expected to be economic soon. But when you break it down and you look at maybe some of the higher purity sources that have a lower cost of capture, such as gas processing up in the top right, you'll notice that the when you combine CapEx and OpEx, you know, you've got uh, an economic project in many cases. Uh, but once you start adding the cost of transportation and storage, it all adds up to to be a certain dollar per ton, which may or may not be uh, economic at the current uh, level of incentives. When you look at lower purity sources like gas power generation, uh, especially here in the short term, you've got in some cases the cost of capture is above the kind of what, what you would consider to be economic viability, then you start adding the, the cost of transportation and storage on top of that, and you may have issues with uh, with getting close enough to, to an economic project. And so really, no matter how you look at this and no matter what type of source you're dealing with and at what point in time you're looking at, you know, having an efficient transportation injection storage system is, is a key part of the of the project in order to make sure that uh, it is economic for the for the long haul. So looking specifically at what Technip FMC and Halliburton are doing, you know, our goal within uh, this space is to focus on uh, integrated carbon transportation and storage. So as a company, we're not doing anything within the capture space, but once the CO2 has been captured and it needs to be moved from the emission source to a store location, uh, we will take ownership or take that CO2, uh, treat it or polish it to some, uh, some spec if needed, in some cases to capture uh, technology, the emitter itself may do a lot of the pressure and treatment uh, activities themselves, but if not, that could be done within the transportation system. 
and injection can occur onshore. It could occur uh, near shore in shallow water, or it may occur further offshore, and that could be still in shallow water, but with with subsea equipment or in in deeper water. And as you can imagine, the economics vary quite a bit, and the acceptability of different injection sites and solutions varies quite a bit as well for different regions. But we can take our integrated uh, equipment from our oil and gas background and apply it to this to this industry. So that includes everything from some of the onshore processing, polishing, treatment, pumping uh, scope as well as the onshore wells, the offshore wells, the kind of the surf and SPS equipment that's associated with uh, with offshore projects. And with Halliburton, we're working closely with with Halliburton, leveraging their you know downhole completion equipment, their uh, ability to do downhole fiber, fiber sensing, both acoustic and temperature, and integrating that technology into the integrated control system for the transportation system. And that's critical because, as you'll see in a few slides as we go through uh, and look at the operational scenarios for these projects, you'll notice that it's really important to know exactly what's happening down in the reservoir and getting real-time reservoir responses that feed back to the, the control system that's controlling the, the pressure and the rate uh, of injection that's taking place. Maybe a couple other notes here as well. You know, in different parts of the world, we're seeing, uh, you know, say in Europe, uh, Norway, UK, other places, we're seeing uh, emphasis on subsea injection. Uh, and so that could be Again, uh, you know, through pipelines or by taking the CO2 directly to the field via a tanker. Uh, in other parts of the world, we're seeing, uh, you know, platform type solutions, maybe even still in the North Sea, but maybe in the Southern North Sea. And then in the U.S. is a lot of onshore uh, CCS that's taking place. Uh, and some of that's just the availability of, of good uh, subsurface to inject in, uh, land to do so. And, uh, and then, of course, the cost uh, is always a, a trade off of, you know, if we go offshore, it, there may be better uh, injection, but it may come at a higher cost. Uh, onshore, we may be closer to the sources, but there may be other other issues, such as you know, social acceptance and things like that that have to be factored in. So all these things weigh into the the type of solution, the type of, of project that's actually going to be executed in that region. With a, maybe a closer view to what's happening, not just above the seabed, but also, or on land, but also below the surface. You can see as an example here, you have uh, the emission source uh, or the, the source of CO2 on the far left. You have some level of gathering if it's multiple emission sources that are being pulled together. Uh, you'll have that, that collecting that takes place. You may have some amount of treatment that occurs, dehydration, maybe H2S removal, you know, whatever it needs to be done to get the CO2 to a spec that it can be safely transported and injection, injected with. Um, and so you'll have, again, that treatment and some level of pressure control there. Once you move down and let's say you're in dense phase at this point, in this particular example, we're looking at, at pipeline transportation, um, you'll see that you have a series of injection wells and monitoring wells. And the requirements for Monitoring and injection vary region to region, but, but let's take this as an example here where types of monitoring wells you may need to put in place. One being a, what we call an in-zone up-dip monitoring well, as you see on the far left, where you're actively uh, monitoring the zone that you're injecting into. You may have another type of monitoring well that's actually monitoring the underwater or underground source of drinking water, which is the USDW designation there. 
uh, so that you can confirm that no CO2 is actually making its way into uh, a, a shallower aquifer that's being used or has the potential to be used for drinking water. And then you may actually have wells that you could see over by the platform solution there where the, uh, the monitoring well is actually above the cap rock, above the zone you're injecting into. And that's just to confirm that if you were to get some sort of uh, cap rock integrity issue that you would know, uh, you would see that CO2 showing up at that above cap rock uh, monitoring well. So these monitoring wells are, are very important. It's all part of the monitoring plan that gets submitted to the regulators for approval. And these are just some examples of, of the types of monitoring that you can do. Um, within the injection wells themselves, you know, the injection wells can be very simple. They can be more complex. Uh, you know, simpler is maybe oftentimes better, uh, both from a, a well trajectory standpoint and uh, what actually goes into the well. And Glenn will get into a lot more detail about what we actually put in the well itself uh, for monitoring purposes. But um, but you can see that there is some consistency around things like uh, the need for CO2 resistant cement, uh, potentially the need or advantages that fiber sensing offers uh, downhole within the well uh, itself. And you'll notice there's several different types of, you know, we put tree systems here, especially when you get into the offshore space. And some of that has to do with what region you're operating in. So if you're, let's say, in the Gulf of Mexico and you're in deeper water, you might have a more you know, cluster type drill center. If you're operating in shallow water, you may have more of a, you know, isolated wells along a pipeline in chain type of, form, uh, of setup. And if you're operating, let's say, in on the Norwegian continental shelf, you may have, you know, two to three to four slot templates that are used uh, to actually put the wells in place. And so uh, having having the toolbox, if you will, to handle different types of solutions for different regions and different reservoir types is really uh, a key aspect of this. And as I mentioned earlier on, you know, the control system that is actively monitoring the condition of the CO2, both the composition of it and the pressure and what's happening, you know, in the pipeline at the well site and down in the reservoir is really critical to ensure that you have, you know, good, safe, reliable operations that are, are taking place uh, within the system. So we'll go through just a couple of examples of maybe some types of different operational scenarios that you may find. So here we're talking about, you know, here are the, here are the building blocks of a CCS uh, carbon transportation and storage system. Again, you have your gathering treatment uh, compression facility on the left. You have your wells on the right. And again, these wells don't have to necessarily be surface land wells, but uh, you know, just for the purposes of the illustration, you've got two injection wells, as you can see, and then three different monitoring wells that have been placed in the area so that you can monitor the movement uh, of the plume and the CO2 as, it, as it's injected into that, that lower formation. So under normal operating conditions, you know, ideally you'll take a certain stream from, a, from a, uh, an emission source. This stream could be, again, uh, could have water presence. It could have H2S. It's going to have other impurities there. Some of those impurities are going to be brought to levels that are uh, acceptable for injection. Uh, so when you have things like post-combustion sources where you have you know, impurities like NOx and SOx and other types of, of, of those types of impurities, Ideally, those impurities will be at a level uh, when they come from the, the capture equipment and are handed over for transportation. They'll already be at a, at a level that's safe for, for not just the pipeline, but also for the reservoir. 
but there's other other types of uh, of impurities like water content, which could vary, and it could be uh, you maybe have a water content that's acceptable for a pipeline, but may not be uh, acceptable for injection uh, for a particular reservoir. So one of the things that is often or we expect to be often done in the transportation system is at least have a way to uh, to dehydrate and maintain a certain uh, water content within the flow, and then also be able to have some pressure control. So if the CO2 is coming out of the emission source at atmospheric pressure, then there's a lot of, to get to that dense phase pressure for transportation and ejection, there's a, a decent amount of, of pressure that has to be added to the, to the CO2 to get it there and keep it there. Um, so you may have a series of compressors and pumps that need to be put in series to bring that pressure up to a level where it's ready for dense phase transport and injection. In other cases, you may have, uh, based on the source or based on just taking what responsibility, you may be getting CO2 that is already at uh, the right uh, water content level and, and nearly at the right pressure. And so really at that point, you can you can get away with you know a small dehydration unit and uh, and and a pump to to keep that dense phase pressure and maintain that pressure at certain levels as the reservoir begins to to fill up and you start to see a, a change in the pressure in the subsurface and, and need to make adjustments topsides. So, but as I mentioned there, you've got the control system that's taking the rate of CO two from the emitter or from the sources of, of emissions. You're you're taking that composition analysis and confirming that everything is within spec. So that you can continue to safely to safely operate. As you move a little further into the system, downstream of the gathering facility, you're now uh, at injection spec in terms of the composition. You're now at the right pressure for for call it dense phase injection, and you can move the CO2 safely to the injection wells and and be injecting in the subsurface. Now, the subsurface could be a saline aquifer. It could be a depleted oil and gas reservoir. And those have very, very different characteristics. Uh, you know, a saline aquifer is probably going to have slightly better pressure uh, pressure availability. So you're starting at a higher pressure in the reservoir. Then that helps you keep uh, or maintain dense phase with the CO2 all the way through the system into the reservoir. Gas reservoir, depending on, on how depleted it is, you may have a fairly low pressure within the reservoir itself. And that lower pressure could cause a phase change of the CO2 within the well or even further upstream, right? And as that phase change occurs, then you, you could have issues with, uh, with low temperature. And so that's why a lot of the equipment, especially in the well bore uh, for CCS applications, there's a lot of work being done to qualify things like safety valves and other types of equipment for, for very, very low temperatures uh, in that space. To hear the rest of this webcast, as well as explore other webcasts hosted by World Oil, please visit the links found in this episode's show notes. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of World Oil Deep Dive. Thanks for tuning in to our show. Please check out the show notes for the links we discussed in the podcast. We value your opinions. So if you have any questions or comments, kindly email them to us at deepdive at worldoil.com. Additionally, we'd appreciate it if you could rate us on your preferred podcast listening app. Lastly, don't forget to visit worldoil.com for the latest technical articles and news about the oil and gas industry.